The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we have what I've been provocatively marketing as the Leap Day Rumble. Uh, <laughs> because of, you know, that, that's what today is. It only happens once every four years. So I thought I'd kind of use it to our advantage here. Uh, but it's going to be a discussion on Christian nationalism from two sides that are opposed, but also can accurately represent the side from a Christian perspective, right. not this Rob Reiner perspective <laughs> or uh, any of the nonsense that you see uh, that mostly engulfs the conversation. So this is Fred Butler. He's our special guest tonight. And you might know him on Twitter. I do believe that you're affiliated with the Master Seminary, right? Um, yes, I work for Grace to You. Okay, Grace to well, You. Well, I, I went to TMS back in the 90s when I was a baby. And then graduated and started working with Grace to You. <clears throat> so my primary duties is um, volunteer. So we got like a lot of senior saints that come and package up books and CDs. And it's not CDs so much, but, you know, mailing our mass mailings that we send out once a month. So, yeah, it, it it's not quite pastoring, but it's a pretty big fellowship group, I guess, that I get to oversee. All right. And, you know, things of that nature. So <clears throat> it's like having 60 grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I'm not at that stage yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, just, I just have like my parents and my in-laws to deal with as far as grandparents <laughs> go in my life. Yeah. Go. Uh, so tonight we're going to be discussing uh, Christian <clears throat> nationalism. Uh, and, you know, I've been hyping it up, but it's going to be an informal discussion rather than like a time debate with the moderator yeah, or anything like that. that. I've never really been that. all that into that format anyway. You know, I'm more of a fun guy, so to speak. Uh, so I thought I thought I'd kind of like break the ice because I know you're a big Star Wars guy. So I had a. Oh, yeah. Like, I even have a Star Wars shirt on. Oh, <laughs> so I, I have like a few questions related to it because i'm more of a star trek person oh i love but... star trek too oh really 
I'm like a full-on nerd. It's terrible. <clears throat> so, so on that note, some flushes. Uh, so I'm trying. To, so you've seen the Return of the Jedi, and some yes. sometimes I just have a hard time getting into that movie in general. Uh, right. Thoughts on the Ewoks? <laughs> thoughts on the Ewoks? <laughs> um, well, when I was a kid and saw that movie in the theater for the first time, we thought that was awesome. But now you're kind of like, huh? <laughs> well, I took we had they had the 40th anniversary. Is that right? They had a re-release in our theater, so I took my kids to go see it. You know, well, I mean, they're all they've seen the movie, but not in the theater. And a little one, the 12 year old, it's going to be 13. You know, she was like, yeah, that's just not the same as like Dune or something like that. I'm like, well, you know, special effects are different. It's a little, you know, it's 40 years old. See, with the exception of like Bobo Fett, I actually think the special effects hold up pretty well. I don't, yeah, I don't think with Bobo Fett, who died by the way, the uh, special effects really hold yeah, up. Yeah, that was, that. yeah, that was, I, I think they hold up. Otherwise, other than Boba Fett, I don't really think he holds up as well. They could have been. I wish they would have. Um, well, let's put it this way. Dave Filoni and the after the prequel guys that kind of took over the place, took over the narrative. They rescued him by having that Beskar armor stuff. And <clears throat> they created that whole Mandalorian backstory and all that sort of thing. So here, <laughs> there he is in the bottom, in the belly of this Sarlacc, you know, supposedly getting digested but it obviously doesn't burn through his armor so he's it able doesn't to burn. <laughs> so he's you know head to toe like, and nothing burns. Uh, okay well the whole idea of beskar steel is that lightsabers can't cut through it so that so i like, guess acid can't either yeah i guess acid wouldn't be able to either so uh death star Thermal exhaust port. Is that really an intentional design flaw? Uh, I know. <laughs> and like, they were able to. Like Rogue found... One is otherwise a pretty competently made movie other than like, okay, we can't kill Empire scientists because morality. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's wrong to kill Empire scientists, but this is somehow an intentional design oh, you mean, flaw. Oh, you mean in Rogue One when they stole the plan, stole the uh, data plans yeah, or whatever? Right. Is that what it is? <laughs> but it was an intentional design well, flaw that the okay, no, I thought thing that you couldn't get a you couldn't get a computer to guide a missile into. Okay, so was it? To do it. If but, I remember in that movie, wasn't her dad like scientist. one of the scientist guys? And right. I thought he said that he created that intentionally for that purpose. Right. You know what? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. right. I haven't like, seen that movie oh, in a while. <laughs> man, you, good. You created an intentional design flaw that had to get a the, a force guided missile into. Congratulations, <laughs> you have no culpability for that weapons use. Otherwise, it's like I don't know. no, it's not how. Uh, that, that's Disney morality for you, I guess. So. I, I guess that that's our little icebreaker. I guess yeah. I, I kind of prefer Star Trek because I think the volume of good movies and good TV shows is higher than Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, they they are, and um, a lot of the original series. Um, I, I really like them. Yeah, no, because they actually explore 
once they got Gene Roddenberry out of the way, I think he was involved in the first season, and then he kind of gave it over to some really good writers who began to explore social issues and that sort of thing. Season seven's a disaster because of their like gas speed limit on the Enterprise. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. And um, one of the things, a lot of the original series with um, Captain Kirk and those guys was filmed out here close to where I was. So all of the exterior planet shots, you know, where they'd have these weird, you know, if they didn't film it on a studio, if they had anything outside, they would film it. I don't know. It's probably about seven or eight miles from us. It's kind of cool. They've got some memorabilia there and a little shack that you uh, can go visit. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I really think the original series holds up really well. Uh, Even if you, you know, yeah, if you just watch like the, remastered editions you know now are the remastered like that are the remastered editions the one where they kind of um improve the special effects and yeah pretty much see i haven't seen any of those i'd like to check those out that's mostly what i've seen right but i I think balance of terror is you know a fantastic episode uh probably the greatest star trek episode ever and then like I like some of the new next generation, but it also has so much bad episodes in it as well. Yeah. They, like, well there's some of the greats, but also like all of the worst. Yeah. They, they, they really series. upped that thing when they introduced the Borg because they had to have some kind of enemy that was nearly indestructible. <clears throat> I think that improved the show. It started to improve the direction of the show. Right. And, but yeah, you're right. There's a, there's some bad ones and there's some good ones. And I'm going to disagree with Formosa and Black Bear, because if we're talking about which TOS <laughs> movies are good, I actually think one is pretty good. It's competent, which you can't say that about a lot of sci-fi movies these days. It was competently written. It's just not as emotionally satisfying. I think four is actually the weakest of the first four. I don't I know, you're it, talking about Star Trek? Yeah. Okay, so the whales. With the whales. Okay, so yeah. that was, a, I like that movie. The guy who, the woman who was a scientist is married to the guy, married to uh, one of my friend's brothers. Oh, right. Who's a top Hollywood um, effects guy. So I, I just, I don't think I've got to meet her. Good. <laughs> uh, five is bad. It's a mess. And then six is pretty good. And then I like, I, I like six. And then the seventh one is when it kind of started to do the yeah. crossover with the next generation. Right. right? That you one was that. every scene with Kirk was cool, but every scene without Kirk. Yikes. Yeah, I know. And then eight was pretty good, but that was a next generation movie. I thought that that was pretty. Um, and where did they go up? When the last one that they made was with Tom Hardy and they had, the, he was the, I don't, the clone, like any the clone Romulan. <laughs> I don't like any of those because it's a retcon. It's like, what? Yeah. Oh, they went back in time. It's like, yeah, yeah. But the time period they went back into, the Romulans went back into, they hadn't been discovered. They didn't know what a Romulan was Oh, yeah, was that's like. the one. Yeah, that's the one. 2009. Um, yeah, that's the uh, and then J.J. Abrams version. Yeah, I don't like J.J. Abrams at all. I don't think he's, <laughs> I don't Ray. think he's ever uh, directed a good movie. I don't think he's, I think he's maybe produced one good movie and that was Armageddon. He was a producer for that, I think. I thought that was a Jerry Bruckheimer. Well, he didn't direct it. He was just one of the producers on it. So he was one of the producers. How did J.J. Abrams right. get into putting his hands on that kind of 
I mean, what does he? Because he's a young guy. I want to say that he that was one earlier film of his, but it's like, and then it's like, wait, he's he didn't do a great job with Star Trek. You give him Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars stunk. Star Wars kind of ends after Return of the Jedi, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) All of the little fill in. What's that? Not a fan of the prequels. Um, I. Well, I'll say this. If you've seen the Clone Wars animated series, they've totally rescued the sequels because they try to fill in all of those little problem points that the oh, sequel, I mean, uh, or yeah. the, the, the first three, the, the prequels. Yeah. Did. yeah. The Clone Wars stuff is great. The animated series, that stuff's good. That's one of my kids' favorite um, shows to watch. We watch those all the time. All right. Oh right, man, there's our little dark rush. Here we go, man. Yeah. Nerd talk is over over now. Yeah, we gotta put a cap on that, but I feel like we could do that all night. Uh, so I guess the first uh thing I'm gonna say, everyone in the audience, smash the like button and subscribe if you are new. Uh, but other <laughs> than that, uh I, I kind of want to say on the topic of Christian nationalism, I think you know, I guess the good best place to start with this conversation is uh Romans 13. Right, okay, and so let's get out our eye devices. And I have a Wookiee on mine. I don't know if anybody can see that. So Romans 13 talks about the government's uh, has the sword, does not bear it in vain, and talks right, about right, the right, government's right. role in punishing good and, uh, or sorry, punishing evil and rewarding good. Right, right. So I guess my question to kind of start out with is what exactly uh, – what are the limits on what the government or what is good and what is yeah what what is good that the government can reward um well i would think it probably would be stuff that's going to be around obviously just general law you know revelation stuff that we're all sort of share in common so we obviously unbelievers have a sense of morality because they're created in the image of god that's what Paul kind of outlines in chapter two of um, of Romans leading up to this. <clears throat> so they so technically the government's supposed to do that. They're supposed to do, be righteous. I think probably our disagreement is do they do that consistently and how do we and when they do act unjustly and they punish the good over, you know, the, over the bad, um, how do we rectify that? situation what happens to the magistrate when the magistrate is not acting righteously so generally what paul is saying in romans 13 is a government as a as a government just supposed to be dealing with unjust stuff and evil and punishing evildoers they just don't do that because they're fallen men um i don't know if that necessarily answers your question but i would think that i mean if we have general categories of good and good and evil being good, being what reflects God's moral law, that's sort of generally outlined in the 10 commandment, you know, obviously they're going to be punishing those things that are against that. So how do you punish, you know, people who commit adultery or those people who commit theft or those people who commit murder for sure? Um, that's what they should be doing. The issue is, do they do that? You know what I mean? Right. So this is a, you would say that Romans 13 is more of a prescription than a general description. Um, the role of government. Yeah. I mean, because obviously there are times when the government's 
punishing good and rewarding evil. Right. And like, and for right now, we see that even in our own country, which shouldn't happen, where you're having people who are trying to keep sexually explicit stuff out of high, you know, I don't want a guy dressed in lingerie reading to my five-year-old in a library. I mean, that's completely, it's completely normal to say, you know, that's wrong, but they're obviously siding with these creeps and these perverts. Well, that obviously, okay, why is that? We can protest that and we'll get in trouble. <clears throat> and it's like what this guy says, you know, it must, our government must support God in his kingdom. I would agree with that, but they don't do it. So the issue comes is how do we rectify that? Does the church have the authority then to take up arms and to overthrow in a revolution, you know, the righteous? I mean, obviously sometimes that happens, but is that something Christ has commanded the Christians to do? Because sometimes we see, you know, when we see through, we read through Romans, particularly chapter one, when you do see the good being um, punished and, you know, the evil being praised, that's a sign of God's judgment. And so there's where the people need to step back and like, okay, we see wickedness here. What needs to happen? Well, I would say there needs to be repentance. There needs to be an awakening. There needs to be a return to <clears throat> Christ and his righteousness and pursuit of his law among the people. And that's so, where the role of the gospel comes in with the church. Right. And, you know, I, I think the church is primarily tasked with that, but there is an essence where we are all the church. So, you know, the Great Commission isn't just for pastors. Uh, you, you know, that's kind of the argument that Rick Warren was making in, in defense of women pastors. Like, you're cutting women out of the Great Commission. It's like, no. Yeah, and then that's uh, not what the Great Commission a, is about. Great Commission is such about, a bad argument, but I'm I yeah, no. saying that, like, <laughs> you know, Christians are tasked with the Great Commission generally, but right. the church is going to be the vehicle in which is driving and organizing and, uh, you know, handling and ministering that. Right. And, and but, when, when you read Matthew 28, you know, Jesus is telling us, go. I think the emphasis is on the making of disciples. Disciples are obviously going to be in these nations. Now, when people are saved and they're living godly and they're wanting and their hearts are changed and they're conformed to God's law and they want to obey Christ's commands, will that reflect in the laws that they make for their country and for their nation well yes i believe it would um a good example is um oh um i'm trying to think of his name um uh, charlemagne charlemagne the great yeah he was yeah, yeah. Try, so those guys um the guy you know he was obviously inconsistent because he had lots of you know divorced a lot of women and wives and it was kind of an adulterer but for the most part he chose to want to pursue righteousness and allow that to thrive in his kingdom and align himself with the pope in rome or at least the remnants of that after you know rome was starting to reestablish itself as a power after it fell in the 400s <clears throat> but his whole purpose was to you know, to make a society that's going to reflect righteousness. And it lasted in obviously his 45 years of his reign. And then when he died, his sons took over and it began to, began to kind of fall apart. But he set, a, I think, a precedent. You know, that's kind of what we could strive for as a nation is we want a lot. We want a nation that's going to recognize God's laws, recognize his justice as it's outlined in Scripture. 
<clears throat> that's what we should strive for. I think our expectation, however, should not be that this is going to happen necessarily in this time. And when God gives us over to judgment, does God, um, is that a, you know, how do we respond to that? Do we, are we as a church tasked to lead a revolution? And if we do leave, you know, a, a revolution in what way, you know, is it going to be one that's the preaching of God's word and calling people to repent and turn from the wickedness or, you know, or is it going to be one where you overthrow the government? And I don't think Christ has called us to overthrow governments in that fashion. So is that your view of Christian nationalism is that it calls for an overthrow of the government in some way? Um, okay. Well, I, it might, maybe it'd be helpful uh, because I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with much of what you just said. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, well, there's a lot to what I would agree with the Christian nationalism. I think my main objection to Christian nationalism is just the, the name Christian nationalism because nationalism has a ton of baggage connected to it. It's a, concept that really began to um take root in the early 20th century as nation put it earlier than the 20th century for sure. when most people most people when i just kind of was researching the etymology of that concept and that idea is the idea of nationalism as we sort of are trying to define it where it's a nation of people that are gathered around you know certain things um <clears throat> That word as it's being used is something that's pretty modern. I mean, within at least 150 years. So, so when you put Christian in front of it, then you're saying, okay, are we going to take the concepts, these earthly concepts, and connect it with Christ? Whereas when we see scripture, there's a different kind of way that he's bringing forth his kingdom. It's not through you know, politics per se. It's not, that's not how it works. He's sovereign over those things. I would argue, but that's not well, how he works. Let's kind of break down the nationalism question. We'll talk about the, uh, how God's kingdom grows or expands. Um, okay. For a second. So I kind of want to unpack that because is nationalism just a term that we use that describes something that has kind of always existed to some extent in history you know, like, just, are you saying nations and like tribes, like kind of how? Well, it, it's a word. It's a descriptive word for something that we would see throughout history. There's, a, you know, before the 20th century, for instance, uh, would have been near the turn of it. There was Greek nationalism, which was a movement that basically made modern Greece a, a distinct culture once again uh, right, after right. being occupied by Romans and then uh ottomans for over a millennia so well when i was movement like that that basically established a greek nation state that we know of today and yeah but is that nations as we would understand like when i when i think of let me give you my definition when i'm finding i'm getting this from miriam webster's and i'm obviously that's not the most authoritative here but there is basically exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on the promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to other nations. Well, I can't, I guess you can kind of say that okay. that can be a, as American. I want to, I believe America is a, probably the greatest nation on earth and it's got a lot of great laws and way it's kind of structured. And I'd want to promote that, but we're not going to be saying that there's some kind of, um, 
because na nationalism can have this baggage that's connected to it. And we've kind of seen this on Twitter some where it's got this racist kind of take to it and it shouldn't have that. And I get it. If we're like, like what you're saying with the Greek nationalists, you know, the, the Greek nation state, we have, you know, we want to um, promote the Greek culture and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not against that kind of thing. It's where we try to Christianize that and, marry those concepts with what Christ has taught us in the New Testament, in the scriptures, about how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate. And we don't see that where it's like around one nation that's, you know, it's got these distinctions and it's this political entity. You know what I mean? I, um, I think I'm trying to get, uh, understand you. So I see nationalism as being within the context of you know, a national, a nation's politics, if, if that makes sense. Like, right. like our constitution or something, right? It's not necessarily in the context of uh, a world domination sort of politics. If that right, right, sense. right. Uh, so the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition that you just cited is at least contained in, in within the nation that the nationalism right. is. And I would like, even say that this probably trying to get their sort of I would not doubt, you know, kind of a lefty sort of a view where they're right. trying to pass nationalism as a terrible thing. I mean, you know, because the idea of a nation where you live, I think it's incumbent upon believers where God has placed you to care about what goes on in your nation and to right. um, honor the nation, honor its laws. And Christianity can do that in any place in the world. I mean, you've got Christians that are in North Korea. Now, I'm sure they probably don't support, you know, the reigning North, regime. Yeah, they might not be North Korean nationalist, but yeah, but you know, I say, but they're obviously they can thrive there. It's underground. I mean, Christian, even where this guy was saying up here, um, the the uh, black bear guy here in the Nationalist Party in China, you know, was the first two leaders were Christian, and I agree with that. I mean, Cromwell as well. I mean, he has his. He mentioned yeah, him, false, but, but he was a pretty good military commander. Yeah, he was. And <laughs> until he actually got in there and started persecuting his Christian nationalism, started persecuting other Christian nationalists. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it might have had to do with the Scots for kind of like yes. Covenanters in uh, Scotland kind of turn cloak a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. And seeing all of that stuff, you know, eventually got to where it brought a lot of the. American Puritans, it drove them over here, and here they and they began to establish. They we wanted to establish a Puritan um, worldview, um, which we obviously still are encountering the fruits of to this day. Um, just their work ethic and their laws and all that kind of stuff. But even they had their issues of persecuting those who were not necessarily going to align themselves with the you know, with the state there in Boston per se. And so hence right. the reason why you had later the constitution is like, we're not going to recognize, you know, one particular religion. And they probably understood that as denominations, not right. like Muslim over Christian or whatever. So just to kind of reiterate the nationalism, what what exactly are you saying is the baggage with the term nationalism? Well, I think because nationalism does have the kinist and the racist kind of um, attitudes to it where it's like, and I see this some on, it's not all of these guys. The thing with, I see with this Christian nationalist guys on Twitter is 
you have a lot of good guys that have, I think, a wanting to return to a constitutionally just America that's going to drive out the communists that are in the control of the White House right now. I mean, I get that. And we want to promote, you know, Christian virtue and righteousness. But there are these elements that are sort of like, hey, we are a American culture and it's primarily white and evangelical and no other groups are allowed to come in here. Um, you see rhetoric like um, the blood and soil stuff that the Nazis kind of used for Germany. And, you know, that that is an, I mean, you, when you put Christian to that and you define that well, this, we're going to be a Christian nation. Well, we don't want that baggage associated with, you know, Christianity because Christian, that's not what Christianity is about. Obviously, we're we're as a church, we are, you know, no Jews and Greeks and, you know, everyone. There's a there's a unity before the cross because we have our sins that are been forgiven. And we're now um, allowed to um, come before God and we're united as a body of believers to serve Christ. And then if you're going to make your culture defined around this one people group, you know, then, then that's going to exclude other people who are in that, you know, Christian context. In the, in the boundaries or in the... Yeah, in the boundaries. So if you're going to say, well, yeah, we're, we're going to eliminate, you know, we're not going to allow these people, kind of people to come here or whatever. Well, then... But at the same time, I mean, I understand, like, look, if you're going to come here to our country, you got to respect our laws. We're not going to stop. We're not going to, like... um uh, like I saw this thing in Canada recently, some kind of a notice that was in this little community where it talked about, hey, if you see your Muslim neighbors, make sure you don't have your dogs with them because Muslims are, you know, they don't like dogs and they consider them unclean. I'm like, no, you came here. We like our dogs. You're going to have dog culture. Yeah, our culture dictates the terms and conditions. And you come here and you conform yourself to our to what we do here. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Now, as a believer and as a Christian, as a, as a nation that has, you know, principle founding and Christian, you know, founding on it. Well, some of that's going to be like, no, we we're going to celebrate Christmas. Well, we can maybe recognize your other, you know, your religion. You can guys do your thing, but as a you know, public culture, we're going to do Christmas and you're going to have to suck it up with regards to the nativity scenes because we're going to put them there and we're going to have the little baby Jesus or how, whatever you want to do or the Christmas trees or whatever. And, you know, people coming here and saying we got to like somehow placate these people. No, I mean, that's not the way it works. But at the same time, we don't want to have this mindset of being, you know, hey, well, we're better than you and, you know, you have to be a certain way to be a part of our group or whatever. And you're, and you're putting Christian on that. Am I kind of making sense here? I'm, I'm rambling. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a follow-up question. Do you think that all cultures are equal? Oh, goodness. No, I wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that. It's not, it's not a good culture. Like in Somalia <laughs> where you're going to have them beating women or whatever it is. Of course not. And we see obviously in throughout the world where, I think God and his providence has allowed Christianity to um, flourish and, and, and government's kind of based upon the laws of the, you know, of God, God's righteousness. You see a model 
nation. You see a nation that actually, you know, respects people, respects life, respects um, justice, does right things. I mean, obviously they'll have their flaws and their problems, but, you know, because you have that Christian background there, there's going to be righteousness that attends to that. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. That makes right. sense. Yeah. So along the lines, because nationalism, you, you you brought up the whole blood and soil rhetoric, but is not a nation of people in a place, which would be, um, almost, which I guess is the less uh, flourishing way to say blood and soil is people in a place. Yeah, I guess so. It's just, I, and, and I know what you mean. I mean, because here in the United States, we are a, we're a location, which is, the this continent here that's got these boundaries and these borders and Hawaii and then Alaska up north and we're unified around a constitutional law we're supposed to be anyway and it's the states that are all recognizing hey we're going to affirm this document even though every state might have a little different take on you know how things like you're gonna Whereas I'm, I'm like, I think you should have a national gun law where everybody can carry anywhere they want, <laughs> conceal and carry anywhere. I mean, obviously, there's going to be these these states like California, where where I live, where you can't just you have to go through this rigmarole to get your concealed carry license. Uh, carry I live in Maryland, around. so yeah, I know all about that. Whereas my son, it's in Arizona. I mean, he's just swimming in guns and he's loving it. <laughs> he's like, oh dad, we got to shoot this M16. <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> so so yeah, to come back to your question, I mean it it is, but as believers, we're not about blood and soil. We're about we're about um people getting saved. It's people who are called out from all places in the world and every nation and people and tongue and whatever. It's a group of worshipers and it's not a place yet. I mean, I know our, probably our eschatology differs, but it'll be a place when Christ returns and he establishes that globally. But we're, we're the place now is, is, is a spiritual body that it's around the world that is united through Christ. And so to connect that concept with a nation you know, a, a physical concept. I just, I don't, I just, to me, I see that as conflicting with each other. Um, now, I would argue that multiple nations can be Christian nations. So theoretically, multiple nations could adopt Christian nationalism. Uh, would that, therefore, wouldn't necessarily be tied to one specific place, but it would be multiple places tying their nation to right. you know in alignment with god's will and god's order. well i i can say yeah i mean i see what you're saying I, I, at this point i think men and nations are going to be fallen you need to have 
You know, I don't know if you've ever read Stephen Wolf's book. You know, the case for Christian nationalism book. He's got this little section in there about the Christian prince. Well, he's basically describing Jesus when he returns in in my eschatology, and he's reigning out of Jerusalem. Well, there you're going to have all these nations that are going to be united, and they'll have their distinctions. You'll have the Italians with their weird cheese with the worms in it. And you're going to have the British with their weird tea thing. And you're going to have the Americans over here with fried chicken or whatever it is. And they're going to have all of these cultures that will share. But they're obviously the thing uniting them is going to be Christ, who is the king reigning over all things and establishing God's law throughout the world. <clears throat> um, I mean, I just don't see that happening now. But I mean, in theory, what you're saying, I would agree with that. I just don't think it's attainable in this day and age something that's yet in the future now is that because you have a i don't want to say a pessimistic eschatology um but is that because you see the world is getting uh worse and worse yeah yeah and again i've never understood why people think that's a pessimistic eschatology when it it tells you that and i don't want i didn't want to say that but i know that might be how an audience i don't know they always say that i'm like uh, i just um how far are we into this? Man, you missed all the Star Wars talk, dude. I'm sorry about that. Um, no, I, I, I don't, I've never understood why they think that that's pessimistic. If you believe that there's a future for the world and it's going to come when Christ returns, I don't see that as being pessimistic. I just, I recognize as a very high Calvinist who looks down upon the bald spot of John Gill that God, that men are depraved and they're sinners. And, and until they are redeemed, they're going to, they can have all of the, um, you know, civil governments they want. They're going to be fleshly and eventually spiral into all kinds of problems, just like ours is. I mean, you know, and, and it takes an act of God to change that either so, through an awakening and re in revival, or it's going to be the Lord coming and ruling with an iron rod i mean because there are certain times in history where it looks like things are getting worse and yeah i'll just use the 1500s as an example because that's a time period uh yes, shortly yep. after the reformation but that's not exactly what, what i'm talking about it's the ottoman incursion into europe and this is like at their height of power uh when you talk about the ottomans they had like yes. seven good kings in a row which is a pretty good formula for succeeding on a global stage. Because uh, if you think at like ancient empires, Alexander the Great, he was preceded by like six good kings. Yes. Right? Yep, yep. So the Ottomans had like six, six, seven successive, you know, in between their civil wars that were fratricidal and brothers killing brothers, <laughs> their emperors yeah, kind of did. Yeah, yes, they yes. were just growing and expanding rapidly and treacherously they didn't honor peace treaties they didn't uh honor marriage alliances or anything like that they were able to just conquer constantinople during that time right because they they married the byzantine emperor's sister or whatever right. but they did they still wage war against them because they were dishonorable people and they forgot about how to make greek fire too that was another thing because they, yeah, they did forget they, about that they had a kid they had these killer weapons the first time they tried to attack constantinople but anyway go on and then on. they're incurring into like vienna and you know yes that deep into europe this is after they've already conquered hungary and transylvania and all these other places yep. serbia yep. yep and then just a few centuries later the tide is com 
completely flipped on the Ottomans, they're seen as so dormant that, you know, the global powers are carving up Greece and using the Greek nationalists that we've mentioned. Right. Uh, the gospel has spread to the four corners of the globe in, in yeah, a that's more why, literal sense. Yeah, that's why I think the Ottoman, the Ottoman um, tsunami that you just described, I think God allowed that. You know why God allowed that? Because Pope Pius, I can't remember which Pope it was, the one with the gold armor that was during the time of Luther, He's spending all of his time crusading against the Ottomans. They were trying to come into, you know, his empire, into Rome, right? So he's spending all of his forces. Meanwhile, Luther and the Reformation is able to be incubated there. They're not attacked by the Catholics because I can tell you right now, if the if there was no Ottomans, they would have crusaded against the Reformation, the reformers, and killed them all. But God had his attention. I don't like, know. They they lost to the Hussites. Who's that? The, uh, the 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 Catholics? Yeah, the Hussites. Well, still that's, survived. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, they but just that kind was... of were contained, but they they survived. And um, circling the wagons, if you've ever heard that, yeah, right, 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 right. Hussites. Well, but you had like through that whole event, you had the Reformation flourish, and what you're saying, it spread throughout all the world, well, all of Europe. Um. And it did, why did the Ottomans fail? I mean, you had your, I mean, again, it's a, it's a corrupt religion is Islam. It's dri driven by this, you know, power and their total bizarre theology that they pursue. And eventually and they fail to adapt to gunpowder weapons. And stuff oh like my, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause there's, there's no science there because their view of God and Allah is different than our view of God who tells us go out and, you know, take dominion of the world and, you know, explore and study and, pursue medicine and um the muslims have this weird view about looking at bodies and touching them and somehow you get cursed or something and whereas we don't have that because that's not god doesn't demand that so we were able to pursue medicine and surgery and all that kind of stuff and um and then and then even then when ottomans fell we were able to go in and get all the it's kind of interesting is they had no interest in in any of the religion or christianity and so it just kind of sat there hidden and um what does he think about john gill's commentary i am getting interrupted here but <laughs> it sounds pretty christian nationalist well i'd have to look at john gill's commentary on does it sound christian nationalist to you or is he just talking about so christians if, being if i'm christian? stereotyping isaiah 60 12 <laughs> what does john I, I don't know it off the top of my head but i'm going to uh, infer that Isaiah 60 12 has to do with the end times. Uh, because uh, probably I, you probably Isaiah is somewhat in chronological order in terms of the, its prophecies about Christ are in chronological order. Yes, so Isaiah 53 me... being the climax, and then afterwards, we're getting more into like a eschatology prophecies, yes. which so. is a whole different podcast um right isaiah 60 and it's amazing look at this verse 12 okay for the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish yes it will when christ returns and the nations will surely be laid to waste yes god will judge those nations so what does john gill say about this let me find let me find the guy john gill you got your logo software or something? This is, um, 
You know what? Have you heard of Esword? You know what Esword is? No. Okay, so Phil Johnson turned me on to this. It's basically all anything that's in the public domain, like um, Matthew Henry yeah. and John Gill, and it's synced. It's like Logos. It's all free though. You have to kind of you know, go go do Esword, look it up, download it. It's a great little app. I mean, I because John Gill is tremendous. Um, it says here, for the nations of kingdoms will not serve thee, shall perish. And John Gill says, that will not serve the Lord Christ and worship him with his church and people that will not be obedient to the laws and ordinances of his house, but appoint another head over them, the Pope of Rome. He's taking this as a Catholic, <laughs> as a Catholic, <laughs> and makes other laws and sets up other ordinances and rejection of the authority of Christ. Well, yeah, even all the anti-Christian states, when the vials of God's wrath will be poured out upon them. They shall be utterly laid to waste. Well, I would agree with that. That's not necessarily Christian nationalism. That's just saying but that. Say there's a Christian nationalist or say there's a Christian nation, a nation that's not destroyed, that happily bends the knee to Christ. Uh, would uh -oh. that be What's going on? an acceptable view of governance in your view? Okay, so you hiccup there. So what? say that again. Okay. Um, there was a there, hopefully that's not me collapsing. Uh, on I, I think it might be on your end, but say there's a Christian nation that bends the knee to Christ in accordance right. to Isaiah 60 12. Would that okay. not be Christian nationalism in a sense? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. It's just, it, it's not, I see Christian nationalism as some kind of an attempt to totally alter the nation so that it's going to be totally righteous i mean i think there's going to be periods where there's going to be people who are going to pursue godliness and pursue god's laws but there's don't necessarily last eventually there's going to be a, a turning away i mean just like judges you see that ebbs and flows throughout human history just like it does with judges where yeah and, uh, were if pursued. you read uh, first Kings, second Kings. Yeah. It's, a, it's a complete cycle of good Kings and bad Kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of see that stereotypical cycle of uh, hard times make good men. Uh, yeah. Or hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times right. make weak men, and weak men make hard times. So you kind of see that cycle play out. Yeah. Uh, and then that would be like a secular thing. Whereas with judges and Kings, you had men who would deny the covenant or break covenant with God and God has to keep his end of the covenant. So he would bring judgment like he promised he would, if you break the covenant and um, they're not going to be, you know, and get through that. They would bring repentance and they would return and then they'd sin again. Usually he would use a judge to do that. I mean, but in the scheme of like, you know, sinful men in the mass of humanity throughout the world, you have the same concept where men try to pursue good things like with Aristotle. And I mean, the Greeks, when you were mentioning before, I mean, they had their various philosophers that were trying to establish, okay, this is the model politic of the, that we should pursue. And you have this philosopher King or whatever, which is sort of their Christian Prince, I guess, but he's not someone who's going to be, you know, they, they want that. They see that, but I don't think that he necessarily can obtain that. particularly enough without, salvation without the lord being there so i think you're i mean yeah i would agree that i mean in this temporal state where we're at in this day and age where god has us in his providence and his people are going out are there going to be nations that'll be godly well yeah uh, new zealand was for a while china was for a while 
And but uh, those things were not necessarily permanent. And I think when Jesus returns, are going to be permanent. Our duties as believers, I believe, are primarily to preach the gospel, teach his word, you know, and live righteously where God has providentially placed us in our communities. And laws and good things are going to kind of be the fruit of that. That's how I kind of see it. Right. So I guess what I would say is that there's sort of an underlying belief that Christians have kind of believed in, you know, that the sort of government should be wielded for good uh, and that the state should prefer Christianity over another religion. Right. Uh, That's kind of like, these are beliefs in among Christians, specifically political leaders that really dates back to antiquity. Right. Uh, So a lot of people would call, you know, that Christian nationalism. That's kind of where I'm getting at. To a large extent, I think that Christian nationalism is just a new term describing this sort of view that Christians have really always had with government. There are exceptions to this view of government. There's, you know, a I don't want to say a periodic camp that would mm. disagree with this, but you do see like there is a camp that disagrees with this more dominant view in history. And I, the more dominant view of what? Of, of the recent. That, resurgence of christian nationalism yeah yeah so you would have had like maybe the pure the montanist in the ancient times or montanist is that yeah yeah probably it sounds i mean the people that augustine were kind of dealing with no um was he before him you're talking about the guy who only saw the old testament or the new testament as being the word of god is that that's marcion Okay, so the Montanists, I'm trying, yeah, because they're both with an M. But it, ha- it has to do with like the, <laughs> but another thing that was going on back then was like the perfectionist, like nothing was ever perfect enough, or there's, yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 and yeah, there's yeah, these yeah. people that were very sectarian because they didn't think anyone was good enough, right? Uh, which you see that trend play out later in history as well with people like that, right. and maybe even to a degree you see that today, uh, but. And that's sort of applied to, well, this can't, a nation can't be good enough. So we're just going to, you know, not view uh, the state as a means of accomplishing, you know, good deeds, good works, and even advancing the Great Commission to some degree, which we'll get into more of that in a second. Uh, So I kind of see Christian nationalism as something that's not necessarily a new ideology, but it is more of a new name to something that Christians have really long believed, but is kind of been lost in modern evangelicalism. Um, maybe sorta, I mean, the way that it's being, the way that it's being um, promoted or the way it's being um, pushed though, it doesn't come across as that. Like I see, I see a lot of the Christian nationalism stuff that people are adopting as more of a reaction against the whole concept of, um, you know, the leftists that cause call anything that would be, you know, Christian as being Christian nationalism or Christian tyranny or Christian whatever, whatever. There, and they've done that sense, forever. Right. There is a sense in which people like, oh they're calling that Christian nationalism as a derogatory and you just say, cool, 
that's a cool name. And we just adopted <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. And then how Christian became a term. I believe that's how Puritan came, became a term. That's how evangelical dark web became the name of this channel. And then that's, you know, the story of Christian nationalism as it is now, where it's kind of like this term that's been taken on. So I, I see that as the case. Okay. So see what Dylan said up there on the top. I think he's got a good point. That's kind of where I'm at. Aaron McIntyre, who's of the blaze, uh, had a critique today on American Reformer. He doesn't like a new term being placed on traditional American political theory, making what's normal sound novel. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Christian, that's a good way to put it. So Christian nationalism sounds like a novel thing, whereas we could talk about, you know, something that's been, you know, try to try to ground our terminology from Scripture. You know, I, I don't know exactly what we would call it but to me it's like if you're wanting to pursue america in, in a, you know righteousness and you know return to american values and all that kind of stuff I, you know just uh, call it something about you know just just that's just normal christian virtue right and i guess christianity that, one i always say christian garden variety christianity 101 you know i, I <laughs> guess my response to Aaron mcintyre would be what exactly would you call what you believe and how would that not have a new feel to it? Cause conservative has no meaning to it. Yeah. It just, yeah, are you going to say right wing, which I, yeah, I've seen that's and that even has guard baggage tech to it too. It's I mean, just too. Yeah. So we're going to have this issue with whatever label we put on because conservative right. has lost meaning evangelicalism has kind of lost meaning too yeah especially when you got people but, like russell moore and, you know anybody can yeah, be an evan evangelical a fundamentalist i mean i would definitely so I, I guess that's my problem with Aaron mcintyre is it's like he just feels like he's too smart or too good for the term it kind of comes off as a little <laughs> snobby to me because I, I like the guy a lot actually so because <laughs> he's super he's super smart and i think now he's got know, some good insights i mean yeah. i don't know anything about so, his background or anything like he's that. he's a former history teacher i think i know but what is his word is he catholic see a I lot of another thing too is a lot of these christian is a lot of these christian nationalist ideas are coming from catholics too so or where do we the occasional like eastern orthodox mormon and mormonism yeah the occasional eastern orthodox I don't see the Mormons as much, but the all, um, uh, actually, Church but. of Christ. I think the guys in Moscow had um, this Church of Christ pastor on one time to talk about Christian nationalism. I'm like, Church of Christ totally are believe totally different about salvation and everything. Because if you're going to call it Christian, it's got to be Christian. It's got to be something that's <clears throat> defined by Scripture. Right. That's why. That's that's kind of and my. I think, so I, I think there's a winning. So just to kind of wrap up the Christian national, the nationalism side of this is that I, I see Christian nationalism as a winning term. I see nationalism is something that is a term that invokes a force that can stand against what we are facing as a country. So you might call that a little bit reactionary. We can't call it patriotism. I mean, or I think nationalism is better than patriotism, but that's just my read of the words. Uh, patriotism might Our be more jingoistic, yeah. right? But I, I also think we should. It should be something that can apply to a different nation. So my critique of so many definitions of Christian nationalism, particularly those used by secular media or you know liberal evangelicals, is they 
specifically tie it to America in like a Michael Flynn sort of way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's not. That's not representative of the people who are thought leaders in the movement. Uh, so it's not like, a, you know, you're not even trying. Uh, and, you know, America is a special covenant nation. Like, no, that's a Mormon belief. Right. Uh, it's not it like, is. And because um, they're basically, you know, this backstory of Islam, which was Arab, you know, Arabs are the chosen people because they're right. the true descendants of Abraham. They just switched, you know, yeah, Abraham, yeah. Isaac and Ishmael. So right. it was like to make Arabs special. But, you know, Mormons change a lot to make America special. Right. Right. In a way. So, you know, and then Utah is the holy land i guess so well, after they got driven there i mean that's the whole story backstory of that too <laughs> anyway. right which you um, know so nationalism is a term that can stand against you know things like forces like communism and marxism and i think nations has is probably the best uh i want to say orientation of but maybe that's the way to put it orientation of government uh, so it's a nation. So when you think of nationalism, you're going to be saying, hey, this is the nation of, you know, Czechoslovakia or it's some. Well, they might be saying? Czechia and Slovakia. I'm trying to think of another uh, uh, Malaysia, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, country I know less about. <laughs> yeah. The um, if the. OK, so. This one guy here, I mean, I would agree with that, too. If the government doesn't submit to and follow God's word, it's not as if we will then exist in a vacuum. Some standards of morality must be applied. Laws are just legislated morality. Yes, and I think most most nations, I think, are people who are operating from the internal conscience that God— everybody knows that there's things that are good and bad and wrong and right. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we have to tell somebody that murder is wrong. You don't have to go and tell the, they know that when they kill an, an image bearer of God, that's right. already burned into their conscience. So obviously there's going to be laws that are going to be connected to, you know, some kind of murder or some kind of theft or something of that nature. And usually when these nations or these people groups are further away from civilization or live out on their own, they're going to have less and less of a connection. They're, consciousness has been seared by the idolatry that they tend to pursue you know what i mean right um, so i, I want to get back to that because we're going to talk about like the uh matthew 28 and its relevance to no, right, right, christian right, right. nationalism discussion which that ties into uh but to finish up on the nationalism part like you've we've seen historically that nationalism you know saves spain from communism for at least you know 30 plus years so that's the success of the movement yeah, Obviously. but that you mean the Franco guy? Yeah, but he was he had his issues too. I mean, he was they had bad. You know what I'm saying? You got to be. I, I but when was we, he not better than the alternative? What did he not save Spain from? You know, communists who would dig up nuns and desecrate them, and yeah, but then he went and turned all that kind of stuff against his enemies as well. So he was a. You know, another example, probably even a better example, would probably maybe be the Crusades. <clears throat> where okay, the, so where you're the, a Crusade respecter? I'm a Crusader respecter. Well, the Crusades were just basically a military action against an encroaching force. I mean, they had like, 
and, and a lot of it started, um, and I would get um, Rodney Stark's really excellent little book on it. I think it's called A Case for the Crusades. Yeah, he I talks think, about I've heard it. of that. That, that. That's a good little book. Or maybe I'm thinking of someone else that, who wrote a recent book on it. That's uh, Another out. guy, Thomas Madden, is another historian. It's, I mean, they're like little short books. They're just going to give you the bare, yeah. and then resources if you want to get into more weeds with the Crusades. But and- but originally Christians wanted to go to the Holy Land to like do their pilgrimages and you'd have Muslims that would set upon them and raid them or take them captive or steal them, steal from them. And so, and eventually oh, okay. that started pushing out. And um, this was the author I was thinking it was Raymond. Raymond. Uh, he's, what, what's, is that his book? That he, what book did he write on the Crusades? Uh, he wrote a very recent book on the Crusades, defending the Crusades that is making all the rounds. Like that's the guy I'm thinking of. Um, and uh, there's another, so I, I look at the crusades as, you know, it was Satan threw everything he could at the first crusade. If you look at the stories that were in the first crusade, it's just, it, it's supernatural how they were able to do that. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I think you know, they was... lasted like a little less than 200 years in terms of the crusader states that were formed, which is still a pretty decent time for an upstart nation to have lasted in the first place in a very indefensible land uh so that's my view i'm kind of shocked that we have a lot more agreement than i thought this uh you know crusade respecter charles martel respecter oh of course Uh, i mean it's not that that but see what i think a lot of national I, I don't I, necessarily I, conflate that with Christian nationalism. I just see that as that's humanity doing things. I mean, there's Christians there and there's a Christian government, but that's not, I think probably where we just dis, probably may disagree is what are the means or the methods on which we spread Christianity? Whereas, okay. So uh, let's, let's move on to that t- part, which I've been teasing for a while now, because that is, you know, methods and means in which Christianity can spread. So do you believe that, you know, God primarily works uh, bottom up or top down or both? Um, well, when you say top down, obviously it's a, re- it's, you know, he reveals to us what we need. Okay. To do, yeah. Right? Without the, uh, the Jesus juke on the top being, you know, God being at the top, you know, outside well, of like- I, I mean, Christianity is a revealed religion. He's given us like in what you said in um, Matthew 28, he's given us sort of the blueprint that you're going with the commands of Christ and the gospel which is first and foremost, men can be made right with God, that they can no longer, that their sins have been placated in Christ. That is the message that they are, that God sends us out to do, that there can be, death is no longer something that needs to be feared. There's a resurrection that awaits you. And in, in, in there's a resurrection to eternal life if you place your faith in Christ. And then from that, obviously, there's a change because regeneration, you have to have God's power and spirit working in order for these things to take place because people got to believe the message and they don't want to by nature. They're totally depraved. And when you go forward and you preach the message, obviously when you're sanctified, that's going to have repercussions in the world that you live in, in the nation you live in. So it took 300 years for Rome to kind of, and plus a whole lot of internal strife and, you know, all kinds of different things that happened. But eventually you had 
you know, um, oh, what's his face? Everybody's Constantine. Uh, Constantine. So are you a Constantine respecter? I'm a Constantine respecter. No, but Constantine got saved. He did. I mean, something happened. He was legitimately saved. And God got saved. That wasn't like that wasn't by political means. It was through his, you know, his mother, I believe he was saved. Helen or whatever. Supernatural stuff going on. And 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 God probably did some a work in his heart and in his life and changed him so that now he wanted to favor no longer were Christians going to be persecuted and destroyed he's going to let the she's going to protect the christians and let them thrive which is what you started seeing but they had existed before that right but would you say that fourth century when christianity gets some support from the state uh you know edict of milan at least going from negative world to neutral world until like you know just Justin the Mar or Justin the Apostate, right? Yeah, I was gonna say Justin the Apostate, Julian the Apostate, Julian the Apostate came along afterwards. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and then was it Diocletian that was? Um, Diocletian, I thought Diocletian wasn't he in the night? I thought he was at the end of the first I'm, century. I'm definitely confusing my emperors here. Oh, I mean, there's so <laughs> but, many of them and they all uh, killed each other, so but the guy who made Christianity the official religion like 50 years later, uh, after right. Constantine, so. You know, wherein it became positive world uh, for Christianity to use uh, the that terminology. Right. Would you not say that Constantine, God used Constantine's governance to advance the gospel? Well, of course he did. I mean, and, and God uses nations. You know, obviously God is directing and providentially guiding, directing his lordship over these nations. Um, the thing is, is that I wouldn't necessarily call that Christian nationalism. That's just, you know, God using this guy that he saved. He's would that have been uh, Christian imperialism? Yeah, I guess, yeah, because he would have been an emperor, right? Um, I mean, just think about Babylon when Daniel is there. I mean, Babylon was a terrible, marauding nation that went all across the, you know, Middle East there, and it was destroying and enslaving everybody, and they just uprooted you. But obviously, God set them up for the purposes of judging His people. And in that midst of all that, He has these four guys that are ministering to Nebuchadnezzar, and He's seeing that, so that He's kind of like, "Huh, well, that's weird." And at some point, I think Nebuchadnezzar got converted, probably after the Lord. Um, cursed him as an animal for seven right. years, or something happened. And but his, but his, um, his you know, Babylon continued to chug along with him. He's out there, you know, roaming around and rolling in the dirt and acting like an animal because Daniel was probably in charge of the place. And and then after he gets saved, you know, after that's you know, you see the, the Babylon decline, but you know, God protected his people in that. He uses nations to protect his people, he uses them to you know, the deal with his purposes, but I wouldn't necessarily call that Christian nationalism. That's just God using nations for his, you know, ends and his means to look after his people and his purposes and to further his kingdom, you know, as a spiritual realm. So Christian nationalism views in large part, the government's just one component in which, you know, the, the Great Commission can spread, obviously not the exclusive mm. 
but the idea that hey we can use laws to teach people what is good and what is not good do you agree that that's you know, well i mean yeah they should but i mean they don't necessarily do that that's the, the problem. you've definitely said that uh we can legislate morality i believe you've talked about that um, already tonight right well yeah or, somebody laws somebody being based that. on laws being based on amorality yeah, I mean, there. Yeah, because most yeah. laws. Yeah, I mean, all laws are going to be based on some kind of morality. What are you? What do you? And I think most nations in the world are know in their heart what God's created them, <clears throat> which is sort of reflected in the general understanding of the Ten Commandments. That there's obviously a deity, and there's something greater outside of men. That men are to respect each other's property in their life, and. You're not to lie or to be truthful and all that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's played out, obviously, in different cultures and expressed in different ways. But So I, I want to see how much we can agree here. So would you agree that the government can enforce the second, ta second table law issues? Um, uh, they could, but will they do it rightly? That's my question. Okay, so, should, should a government aspire to enforce second table law issues. i think they should literally what the bible would define as a crime or uh right. what is prudent to be defined as a crime in said society because you know I, i'm not course. a theonomist because i don't think theonomy i think i, I think christian nationalism is superior to theonomy because yeah that's uh, kind of nice principles of, the, principles of prudence and theonomy is not the old testament's not exhaustive well, the, uh, okay, so that's a, that's interesting you say that because I see the main drivers of the CN movement, at least on social media, are all post-millennial. A lot of them are generally Doug, Doug Wilson adjacent. Right. <laughs> but I, I kind of see Christian nationalism as superior to theonomy because, first of all, there's a basis for a robust immigration policy. I don't think theonomy provides a basis for that. Oh, they would probably argue. Oh, I bet they'll probably argue with you tomorrow on Twitter about that. But um, that's kind say, of a well-documented, well-documented in their camp, though, <laughs> right? That they don't really have a strong basis for which to say, hey, we want to limit the amount of immigration in a particular nation. I don't think they have a... Yeah, maybe uh, not. Or, I don't know. You know, Romans 1 talks about inventing evil, and obviously there's new things that arise that, you know... It's not in the 613 laws in the Old Testament right. the number. But they would like, say that those laws are kind of a general um, a general equity, equity, equity that I think. you can draw principles from, you know, is how they would. But there's also circumstances in which, you know, certain cr crimes need to be punished harsher than they don't necessarily have a, a you know, <clears throat> view on punishment, jail, restitution, mm. they kind of thing. Yeah, you know, they, they got they don't have that as sorted out because they're I think they're trying to be uh yeah, they're trying to reinvent the current system in a way that <laughs> might not fit to our current culture. <clears throat> I think Christian nationalism doesn't need to, you know, reinvent the justice system. Uh it, yeah, it just needs to enforce the laws that are currently there. Right. It, it's more about, hey, we you know, bring the hammer down or a sword and this, you know, they use the Romans 13 language. And be the avenging angel. It's not about how necessarily they're being the avenging angel. Uh, so that would go back to how, okay, so as believers, you know, as Christians who want to live in a Christian nation and see Christian values and law, um, you know, obviously expressed and passed throughout the 
you know, our nation, you know, how do we go about doing that? See, that's the, that's probably, a, that's a, I think we're going to have all kinds of differing opinions. Whereas I'm going to say, and I think this is kind of what the G3 guys were <clears throat> trying to get at is like a lot of these things are going to, it, it, you have to have a, you have to have the church being this viable witness in the nation in order for it, for them to be successful in convincing the populace that, Hey, we need to follow these rules. And if not, then you're going to have just nominal Christians and there's going to be um, well, really probably black market rebellion against, you know, what so being, what I, I think, I think if we were to do the math and this is completely theoretical, like if we were to do the math, a nominally Christian society would probably have a higher percentage of actual Christians than a, a secular society in which there are steeper costs uh, to be. Say, say it again now. So, so a nominally be... Christian society, let's just right. say a positive world, uh, would right. have a higher percentage of actual believers than, say, a neutral or a negative world. Okay, so then we as believers, okay, so when we say nominal Christian, <clears throat> we're, we're saying I, I want to switch to like positive world, which a lot of people might see that as a more nominal Christian. Society, yeah, because not because when I say nominal, I'm thinking they're just Christians in name only, which is right. a good portion of the Bible Belt because that's where I was at. Well, that's a good it's portion right. of Eastern Europe. Yeah, you know, you yeah it hear, is. You ever hear Putin talk about like religion and? You know, the guy is, first of all, a pluralist. So Putin's not a Christian nationalist. Right, 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 right. It'd be cool. He's not a Christian nationalist. It'd be cool if he were. But he's just not because he respects Islam uh, too much. Uh, and, he, and he's probably he doesn't have a strong the... view on, you know, a person on actually being religious. So he has like right. no religiosity. Well, they, they, and and... just Yeah, I'm Christian as part of my identity in a nominal sense. And that's, you know, probably how a lot of, you know, not to poop on Eastern Orthodox here, but you know, I, I feel like in their well, in Russia, it'd be Russia Orthodoxy, but I know what you mean. Well, they, they view themselves as the head of the Eastern Church, I, I would imagine, but and for a while they kind of were because you know, Constantinople fell. Uh, yeah, so this one guy asked yeah. here about in the early colonies had religious test oaths required for holding civil offices. Yeah, that's been pretty much around since the um. <clears throat> I'm pretty confident that's been around for, I mean, ever, ever since you had president. Ever, you it's had president. still in the Maryland Constitution. Yeah, I mean, there's a, they have that, and it's not enforced, obviously, but it's in the it's in the Maryland Constitution. Yeah, it's probably in lots of constitutions. Can't hold office. And then um, another issue is you had every president has been. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Bill Clinton was a notorious Southern Baptist. Jimmy Carter was a notorious Southern Baptist. Uh, John Kennedy, you know, why he's fooling around with Marilyn Monroe was a devoted Catholic. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, well, I, I think Catholic, you know, no one knows what a Catholic believes. If you were to pick up, pick a random Catholic, you know, on the parish rolls, you wouldn't know what they believe. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. They, yeah, there's no. But way you'd to... have that with a Morse Baptist too, though. That's unfortunate. You that's, go that's... Like a normal Baptist at the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, yeah, it's like that is sadly becoming that? super true. So now, who is this? I was fabricated by that answer. What the heck? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm agreeing so, more with Fred, and <laughs> he's a I guess the question is, can a nation go on first table issues? 
So oh, see, that's where you're going to have a. Well, there you're going to have. You mean with the god being the god of the nation, that sort of thing, right? And or, I think that's where you're going to have. You're going to have to have a priest class that's going to have to enforce that. I mean, because that's what made Israel unique is that they had a Levitical priest that um, directed the religious duties of the nation and everybody was covenanted with God so that there was a covenant there that he held them accountable to. Do we have that? I mean, if we would try to do that on our own, try to, that's what theonomists would want to try to do, right? We have had similar things. The religious test that we just talked about, we referenced the Mormons getting driven out of New York and then Missouri. Right. Well, now, and so, a lot of that too is because they were criminals not, and they were, you know, well, yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but, you know, was that not a, you know, first table law being enforced by uh, the state? Um, not the state in the, you know, United States federal government because I believe President Martin Van Buren opposed the Mormon Wars, but right. the states well, were basically okay, so, enforced, were enforcing a first table issue. When you say that Maryland has that on their on the constitution to have that, you know, you can't be an atheist or anything. Yeah, it's they, like you're unfit to hold. Has that been things. something? Has that been something that has been um, challenged by the First Amendment constitution? I, I believe States? if the Maryland state legislature has tried to erase God from the constitution, they tried that last year and it just failed. So I don't believe the answer is yes. It's just, to me, unenforced. It's not like if you were to read the Constitution of Maryland, it would be struck. Right. You know, but still maintained as, like, you know, the 18th Amendment would be, you know, strike force through <coughs> it. But they did try to pass legislation to remove God from the Maryland Constitution. Well, I was, my, my, what I'm kind of thinking about is, like, you're going to have, if we had God tests in the United States, the Constitution is going to challenge. Someone's going to challenge. Well, I don't necessarily believe in the God that you, you know, like I'm, I'm a Muslim and I believe in Allah. Allah. Then we're going to say, well, okay, well then you can't have a Muslim, you know, being a representative or a mayor or a president, and I'm automatically baked into the Constitution. You're going to have a challenge. Where you can't have that. I mean, you have Indians, for instance, who are obviously pagan in a lot of their expressions that are serving in various capacities, you know, and the state legislations, like say Wyoming or wherever they're at, you know what I'm saying? And um, so I'm just wondering, you know, if our American constitution would allow for us to have a strict religious, you know. Well, it did allow the states to have that. And I believe I mean, the reason it doesn't allow it doesn't do that at the federal level is because you know the Anglicans and the you know Reformed Calvinists yeah, 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 yeah. and the Baptists, you know, it didn't want to weigh in on the it didn't want to choose sides on that debate. Right. So that's kind of my view of the you know the US Constitution, but I don't think the states would have admitted a, I don't think they would have admitted a state. The union wouldn't have admitted a state that was openly pagan. And didn't Utah have to wait a while? Uh, right. Because they were, you know, their laws were pagan. So that delayed their entry into the union, if I recall. Right, right. Um, 
who must be my favorite Muslim politician. At one time, it was Ali Hershey, you know, Ali, whatever her name is, but she's a Christian now. Who's your favorite Hindu politician? Isn't that that Vivek guy? What's he, what's he doing? <laughs> well, he's not a politician, but he is a groupie. <laughs> he's, he's trying. He's trying to be a, a, a politician. <clears throat> um, and then the freedom of religion is freedom within denominations. I Did they understand it that way? Because I've got a really interesting little book that talks about that. And it's I, I'm um, not sure how much they understood that way, but the federal government had freedom of religion, and then the state of Maryland or colony had tolerance for the Christian religion. Right. Well, they were so, Catholic. I mean, originally it was kind of set up as a originally Catholic I think area, it was Catholic, right? but I think they Maryland, kind of you know? took it over. <laughs> yes, and then um, and they which they did probably through the preaching of the word of God and through calling people to give up their works righteousness. You know what I'm saying? But like <laughs> here's an example. What about Hawaii? I believe there's the king of Hawaii and I believe he yes. got the statue in the uh, Congress, Capitol Hill. He He's the one with the statue with the trident. I believe he has a trident. And is that for the, okay. Is it, you mean that the, the he's like, no, no. In cap, each state gets like two statues in, in Congress. Right. Oh, and okay, I believe okay, okay, uh, okay. Billy Graham is one of them, I think. North in Carolina. Congress, like, where do they have? They I've made, never been to Washington D.C. I'd have to go there and check. So, it like out. the states get their statues, and they, they get their get, little, like, they get their little idols that they get to put in there. And the, <laughs> <little> bigger <laughs> than trivial little... <laughs> But I, I believe Hawaii's is the their king, right? right converted okay. to Christianity and led right. the conversion of Hawaii. Like, is that not you know, in in one sense, a Christian prince? Yes, uh, I guess in a way it did, is. Did yep. not. Was that not some sort of Christian prince that led, you know, did the Great Commission work? I, I guess I'm trying to see. You seem to. Th- what What's the limit on the role of government in the Great Commission in your mind? Like, where do you believe that the limit is? Well, I would is? say probably. Or how is... much can they do? What, But where is the end of what they can do? Well, if you go back to Romans 13, their primary duties is to uphold the good and punish evildoers and punish you know bless the good and it's very generic i mean what they're saying there and i'm assuming that god wants them to do so in a righteous way that they're going to be fair in their judgments you're not just out there willy-nilly killing people who don't hold to your particular view of baptism or whatever it might be but that you're actually that which is evil what everyone recognizes is evil because of you know, the image of God in us and, and, you know, stealing or whatever, they're going to punish that in some fashion. And, you know, but we see that get corrupted. That's kind of the issue that we have to struggle with is, you know, sinners are going to be who are oftentimes Christian in name only are going to, you know, uh, act and judge unrighteously. And then we have to say, well, okay, is this a guy, is this God's judgment? on the situation or is, you know, what's going on here that, you know, our politicians are acting wickedly, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> the, um, but so, I mean, they're, they're lim- I mean, obviously they're limited to a certain degree because it's only going to be what, you know, where God has determined that they can have that power and they should do it, but they don't necessarily do it. I and mean, that's the issue. So wow. I, I don't know. It probably doesn't really answer your question though. I'm not I'm trying to, so I, I guess I'm trying to say, like, what other than the name, you see, 
you seem to think that Christian nationalists have a view of the Great Commission that's different. I'm trying to get you to um, that. Well, that's I remember, I, th I think I'm just trying to go back to some of the squabbles I've had on Twitter where somebody was having saying something about shopping carts. Yeah, I can't remember. Maybe be that. That was a joke. <laughs> The um, I find that absolutely funny that people. I mean, it's a meme. I <laughs> get wigged out about that. Uh, um, uh, and then you caught me totally discombobulated. Um, the <laughs> what was I even saying before that? Um, uh, I'll, I'll remind me what your, I was uh, thought. Question but I did fact check. It was Billy Graham. Billy Graham's statue was put in the Congress Congressional Rotunda. Uh, or North Carolina, of, or, or North Carolina, he oh, was repla okay. he replaced the segregationist governor. Oh, okay, uh, is that what it was? Yeah. So the segregationist governor. Yeah. <laughs> well, who's California's? It's I, probably I don't, a, I don't I don't even know who Maryland's is. So it's probably a they, homeless they, guy. Each state, I think it's two. So it's a guy pushing a shopping cart. <laughs> With one uh, of them, and the other a guy in mid dump in San Francisco. Yeah, that's what it is. Something like that. <laughs> it's gonna be something like that. It's just take a squat because <laughs> uh, I believe Billy Graham's in like a preaching pose. Oh, so okay. They do their poses as well, and the California one's just in a squat. Um. So. Anyway, what was my thought? What was I saying before you were asking me a so, question? I was trying to answer it, and I got what exactly totally do you think the difference? your disagreement with Christian nationalists on the issue of the great. Oh yeah. The nation. Well, because I think when we were talking about this, they were a lot of the guys that I would squabble with about this. were trying to emphasize what well, it's going to the nations. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I understand we are going to nations, but the emphasis on the great commission is making the disciples. It's the people in the nations. Now they may not become a Christian nation. They may not, you know, there may not be a place where, you know, righteousness prevails, but there's going to be God's people there. I mean, you can still have disciples. You can still have disciples in Somalia. You can still have disciples. I mean, they're all over the play. I mean, that's what Revelation promises is that there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, language, everywhere. So you may not be a Christian nation and say, oh, I'm trying to think like in Yemen, but there's Christians there. And they're there, and they're and there's disciples being made, even though it's not necessarily street evangelism and meeting in a church necessarily like we would like. But they're there thriving. You know, I've met some. I've met people who've been converted and gotten out of it. Jordan is another place, you know, where they would obviously not have Christian allowed to be there. But then it's not a Christian nation, but there's Christians there. <clears throat> so I think it was like a, the percentage of Christians in Jordan is higher than in Israel. Probably that's probably right. Very slim, but you would Israel think might be the le the least Christian nation in that area, but it's actually slightly more than Israel. Right. and that's because one of the um, I can't remember the last king. I think he died. I think he became a he might have been led to the Lord at near the end of his life, so he kind of let up on the laws, as it were. <clears throat> that were kind of regulated that Israel's very, and I mean, and, and Israel's um, the people who've been there, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is going here. Um, I know of like my, like master seminary, master's college has like a, um, we work with a center over there. So there's kids, that, the, the church is there, it thrives and it does its stuff, but 
you're not allowed to go out and evangelize. You certainly can't hand out literature and that sort of stuff. It's forbidden. And, um, you know, but they're, they allow the freedom as it were to be there, to, to go to the Holy land and to do, um, you know, my, yeah, my, well, yeah, but my son did his pilgrimage there for his master's college class. Absolutely loved it. Uh, <clears throat> thoughts on the, what were his thoughts on the, uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, I think all of his stuff he liked. All of that. He he. Really... I, I was listening to some li theological libs that were like, it was the dark the there. There's a what? It's it was yeah, like these theological libs I did a video on. They're like, it was dark there. It's like you really? couldn't see anything. You no, and they felt like a spiritual darkness is like, but this is um... like the church. The Church of the Crusaders, assuming you know, that, and well, isn't the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Where isn't that what built what? by Constantine, I believe? Right, it probably was. So, um, I, I was just curious, well, like, what were his thoughts? Or my that? son really enjoyed himself was in Rome because he called me somewhere I don't know, maybe a week before thing the, the week of Thanksgiving that was like their spring break, and so he called me. He says, "Yeah, we got this opportunity to go to Rome and." And I don't really know if I should go. And I'm like, well, do you have the money to fly over there and pay for the, all this? Well, yes, that's not a problem. Well, go to Rome, dude. <laughs> so they got to go to tie down. I have to go. I mean, you go look at all the paintings, go look at the Michelangelo stuff, go look at the Vatican, go find those stairs that um, Luther had to climb up. You know, there are supposedly the stairs were, you know, that Constantine brought to Rome that Jesus was tried on, you know, by Pontius Pilate or whatever. <clears throat> I said, go find that stuff and look. I mean, that's history. I mean, that's part of what we are as Christians. I mean, you'll you'll never you'll regret it if you don't. And he did and he loved it. So he came back just absolutely changed, being able to see the darkness of like the works oriented stuff at the Vatican and they have all these Pope mummies on display there. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. He, I said, well, that'd be pretty cool. I'd see Pope mummies. <laughs> <laughs> they don't advertise it as Pope mummies over there. They don't. Uh, yeah. You have to get, you, they would steal so much traffic from Egypt or the museum <laughs> of London. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to issue a last call for questions because I think the audience is going to submit a you know a bunch of questions for us to answer. But I do want to ask because one thing I see Christian nationalism as kind of a response to is like the you know evangelical Zionism, and I know you know MacArthur world has a different view on Israel than the John Hagee world, right? Right. Which I think is very yeah, John Hagee's a radical. But... It's a Probably, well, yeah, like I would say radical, but there's not a whole lot. A of, lot uh, of, but yeah, you you know what I'm saying? Like their world, because I, I believe MacArthur world would say that there's promises that exist, but it doesn't necessarily have to be this iteration of the nation of Israel. Is right, my right. understanding. Whereas, well, that, you know, this camp. Yeah. Well, Kagi has this idea that somehow Israel can be saved without Jesus and that everybody right. will eventually, and, and, and that's just not what the prophets talked about, be a conversion, 
it's just I you know our take is that it happens when Christ comes and he's going to judge this nation one last time and <clears throat> uses that to bring them to repentance to embrace their Messiah. Now this guy asked right. up here about the John MacArthur made about the freedom of religion. Oh, no. um, let's answer the let's answer those questions later. I, I, okay, I okay, okay. They're just sending their questions in for the last call. Uh, okay, okay, sure. so, okay right. uh we'll get to them. Man, this uh, is like going Joe Rogan length. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, he is like twice as long as this. So, uh, because I see Christian nationalism as distinct, like, you know, it's very much in opposition to like the Zionist uh, domination of evangelicalism and evangelical politics, to where you got like several politicians that it. it I, I did a lot of research and writing on congressional primaries back in the day, and the number of people that said, like, you know, they'd have like six issues on their website and, you know, the prominence of supporting Israel being one of those five or six issues that they'd highlight on their mm -hmm. website is just mm -hmm. insane. And Christian nationalism is definitely something that's kind of a rejection of this type of thing. I kind of wanted to get your take on that. Okay, so, so we would stand in just a Q&A on ask some similar sounding question about uh, the whole thing with Hamas, you know, which, you know, it's, I, I'm all for them wiping out Hamas completely and completely. I mean, they're the one other just level one credit nation is existing in a sea of like crazy Islamic terrorism and it's like okay why do you we we as americans would want to support our allies here i don't think we need to be giving them tons and gobs of money but we want to at least have their back if they need it <clears throat> but john's take on it is like um it, it comes down to what he, you know we could tie our understanding to the abrahamic blessing so if you bless the we're going to bless those who bless you curse those who curse you and i think most zionism that you see that, um, and J.C. Ryle has, you can get on Amazon, Kindle, on, on last things, and he goes into a lot of detail about this. Was um, even um, another well-known, I can't think of his name right offhand, who <clears throat> kind of had a book on the same topic. But the idea is that America as believers, I think as Christian nation, as we were originally, they, they wanted to be friendly towards Israel because it reflected, you know, the Jews as they have been God's people as promised by Abraham. It'd be hostile towards them, you know, in spite of their rebellion or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of their, that's kind of where I think John would kind of come down on that. That's where I would kind of come. I want to support Israel just because they're tied to, you know, the co the covenant eventually will be, you know, brought back into the new covenant for sure when the Lord comes back. But, I mean, I, you know, a lot of the hostility towards that kind of comes from the reform camp, which has a different take on Israel where it's... Right, I, I would dependent. definitely have a different take on Israel. I just wanted to hear, you know, what your perspective is on that. I believe that Christian nationalism is kind of rejecting that. I, I see, like, the foreign aid that we give to Israel is primarily motivated by politicians wanting to get blessed by, you know, blessing those who bless you and cursing those right. who curse you. 
And I think Republican politics is dominated by, we're going to seek the blessing of God by doing this. And I would first say, like, what are the blessings that we're receiving for this? And second, say, what? Well, like, spirit, I would say it's spiritual. It's not necessarily. Well, financial. yeah, I, I'll, I'd like to see what those blessings are. But and then secondly, it's like, isn't this tribute? Like, how is this not um, since they're a nation that doesn't need this money? Like, Yeah, that's what I see. To me, I don't think it's necessary yeah. for I mean, to, I separate that as a polit political thing. Do we You're have right. to give them money to? I can respect and love Jews. And I mean, I live in an area that is <clears throat> predominantly Jewish. And um, because we have the even the Shabbat and all of the various, I'm trying to think of like all of the um, Day of Atonement. I mean, that's very prominent here in LA because it's a huge Jewish community. <clears throat> but I, I mean, I can respect and love and adore them, but I don't have to give them money. I don't think the United States needs to give Israel aid and so i'm not sure why there's a need i think I, i'm like why what, that's what a, saying. and i'm not sure why it's like a top five issue for republican you're not blessing either. israel just by giving them money there's other ways that you can bless israel i mean being an ally enough is in my opinion fine with regards to you know you don't have to give them fun. i mean israel's been pretty much on their own they can take care of their own stuff if they need to. It's not so, like it's what it's been historically. All right, I mean, we got some questions coming. Okay, let me blow Moth, my nose. Hold on. Yellow Moth brings the unserious, <laughs> uh, brings the funny. Do the Pope mummies do the dance from? Yeah, no, that's what I was gonna say. I guess so. If they're <laughs> they have some kind of, they have like probably some sort of artifact that gets opened like in the night at the museum, and they all come alive, you know, and yeah. It's like a night at the Vatican. Oh. I, I'm not sure I'd want that. <laughs> <laughs> they might see me as a little boy. Uh, <laughs> and then we got why Innovation HQ? Why don't you talk about the comments from John MacArthur made about freedom of religion being bad? Uh, he and I'm trying to, to remember. That was a freedom of religion was... doesn't. Uh, he doesn't support freedom of religion because it's freedom of religion sends people to hell. I have that clip somewhere, but yeah. And that was from a sermon. Um, and I can't remember if that was an evening sermon or a morning sermon, but when he said that, I think his point is like, look, you know, freedom. When you, when you have religion, that's going to be, when you have a polytheistic sort of society like we have, I mean, that's what the first amendment protects and we just have to deal with that. <clears throat> that freedom of religion, unfortunately allows for all kinds of other um, heretical views to flourish. And so it's not a so, freedom as we would think as it is a, a condemnation on people, religious freedom sends people to hell because if you just allow them to, you know, so <clears throat> on that note, would you say we have to be a pluralistic society or is that just a comment that we are one? Um, well, if we're going to honor the First Amendment, it's not going to be the First Amendment if we're going to say Christianity is the only religion. I think you can say we're a Christian nation, but they're still going to say, you know, we're going to let Jews practice their religion. We're going to let the Muslims practice their religion. We're going to let all of these heretical groups 
you know, like Mormons and Church of Christ and everybody else practice their religion. That's you know the impression that the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights is not enumerated onto the states, which was the way it was when our country was founded. Yeah, and our and the Fourteenth Amendment changes. So they have the freedom to do what they're supposed to do and allow certain things, like the whole thing with out in the out in the southwest you have these indian cultures who demand to have peyote be part of their religious ceremony and originally it was outlawed and now it's they allow it because it's a freedom of religion issue and i'm just like and i think what john is saying is you know hey freedom of religion is what sends people to hell i think he's exactly right and i know what john is saying there i mean he's not trying to be anti constitutional necessarily i think he's greater point is like look we need to keep reality in mind in that freedom of religion if you're going to allow people to worship as they please you know and let that go unchallenged it leads souls to damnation ultimately because it's idolatry and now can we legislate that i mean you're going to have a hard time doing that in america given our current state and it would take a, a miracle of god to change hearts to, uh, to do that acquire, acquire so what is Squire george says bad. what is so what is good and what is bad if in fact that if that in fact is the government's role in romans 13. okay so what i've always kind of maintained i think the good and the bad is just a basic general moral law of God that we see reflected in the 10 commandments. You know, obviously things are going to, it's going to, this is, you know, and I would, there's even some natural aspect, natural law aspects. I mean, it's true that, you know, the whole idea of gender fluidity and gender um, transitioning and all that. I mean, if you're going to acknowledge that, you know, Oh yeah, man can become a woman or a woman can become a man. I mean, that's obviously a bad <laughs> and a government right. supporting that. And you in the, in the fact that the government is allowing people like Richard Levine to pretend like a woman, to be a woman and, making and promoting him, him after he, you know, basically had policy that killed a bunch of people in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's promoted. It's okay. So we look at that. I was like, well, what's going on that the government is at such Liberty to, be so radically opposed to reality like that and is that a government is that just government being stupid <laughs> or is there a spiritual component to that where god is giving us over to a depraved mind for his purposes well oh that that, that answers his question uh, or not. probably doesn't satisfy black bear asked what nation god's kingdom or a subset of god's uh, kingdom. Yeah, I'm not really sure what he means by that. So God's kingdom, I understand, is universal and there's always been God's kingdom. And then obviously there's manifestations of you know, as he dealt with mankind, he had his kingdom with Israel and now there's a spiritual component to the kingdom where it's in the church that's reigning across the world. <clears throat> it's going forth throughout the world being I believe victorious. It's not being pessimistic. If you save souls and people are coming to Christ, um, and then there'll be a mediatorial uh, kingdom. And there's a book I was going to show you, because <clears throat> um, I um, Ava McLean's Greatness of the Kingdom. It looks like it's backwards on my butt thing there. 
But Ava McClain wrote a really good, it's a classic. I know he's dispensational and everything, so you'll have to like, but you know, he's got some good stuff to say. I think it'd be worth your time reading. I uh, definitely be more worth my time reading that than John Hagee's book. Yeah, don't yeah, ignore <laughs> I, John. No, Hagee. I read his book too. It's like really bad. <clears throat> Because you know he's not a Constantine respecter, and and, no, uh, like, no. and he lies too. It's like what? It's, yeah, he's terrible, like, terrible. You know like, what's interesting is I used to watch him on TBN. So we would come home from church, listening to John MacArthur, right? And right when we get home, we would be making our mac and cheese and hot dogs as seminary students, oh, <clears> and their TBN would have playing John Hagee, and John Hagee had this big old, um series where he talked about the 10 commandments and every every sermon was a sermon on the 10 commandments and somehow he would tie it to hillary clinton and bill clinton at the time and just how terrible they were and how they need to be over i mean it was just bizarre you know how Winston he would be foster so, six <laughs> oh he would probably have a sermon he'd have like a rabbit trail about that yeah i mean it's crazy um okay we got some more questions here Trump uh, had the first transsexual in his beauty pageant. What is this? Uh, yes, the Great Commission is about discipling nations. How does one do that? Teaching them all that I have commanded. So Christ is king, therefore tell the nations to follow God's yeah, law. Right. I don't and think, so there's, I would, any, I don't I would think there's any disagreement on that. Yeah, right? I don't disagree on it. And that's not theonomy, though. So that's probably, unless he's trying to advocate for theonomy. I don't think that's theonomy. Just God's commands are what's I also think there's a post mill component to theonomy. Uh, there is a very much a post mill. You can probably be. How did someone say it to me recently? It's hard to be post mill. Well, they were talking about with Christian nationalism. <clears throat> you could probably be a premillennial Christian nationalist, but theonomists, you know, you kind of have to be, you know, if you're post mill, you kind of have to be Christian nationalist because theonomy right. sort of feeds into that. Right. Could you please address my question above? Uh, if, if the, the role, role okay. What is the standard good. of good and evil? I thought wouldn't that necessitate? Uh, blah I blah blah. Was, uh, I believe. Okay, so I thought he did answer the question about what is good and what is evil because he talked about basic and natural law. Uh, yeah. You know, what is general <clears throat> revelation could see as good and evil. And what God, you know, to some degree, was, yeah, yeah, was especially like, revealed. Paul, yeah, because Paul talks about that a little bit, building up to that whole section there in the earlier right. parts of Romans. I mean, that's kind of what I—that's how I sort of take that. So, for Mason Black Bear says, "What if one Christian nation's Aha! interests come into conflict?" Oh with my gosh, how would that? That's a good question. That's more for the Christian nationalist <clears throat> than me, though. That's a good question as well. Uh, you know, see, yeah. I. I You'd have to go to war, man. There's no other option. You see, this is actually where just war theory would actually apply. <laughs> I don't think just war theory is in the Bible. Uh, you, know, you can look right. at the book of Joshua and say they follow just war theory. See? It's like, no. They told God told them to go in there and destroy the Ammonites or whatever. He didn't tell them to negotiate or try or nope. spare civilians. Actually, the Bible doesn't really have a concept of civilians. Because um, I would say yeah, with the Women and children that they the women and children and and um there's a Deuteronomy 24 about okay, if, yeah war brides and that sort of thing because they teach but because the law wants in to protect terms of like them. you're demilitarizing a, a complete nation right 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 
which means you're taking out the men, basically, and then taking their women. So, so demilitarization in, in that context meant a little bit more than just taking out an army. Right, right, right. So in that in that sense, they didn't really have a concept of civilian as we do now. Uh, All right. So I think you know this would be an instance where just war theory <coughs> would actually apply. Uh, this is where you form marriage alliances if you're into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want, do we want to do that though? We, how does that how does that conflict? It with doesn't work nowadays because everyone's got. Uh, if we're going to be out. strictly biblical in our understanding, that's how it used to work. Was you do marriage alliances, and you'd have right. you know someone from the Czar <clears throat> family marry someone from France. Yes, and you know and then they would multiply wives and have concubines. Uh, you don't want to do that. that. So, I think this is where negotiation comes into play, and I think you know Christian nations should actually avoid fighting each other. Uh, as much as possible. Obviously, oh, how would he take on that? What but. when you say his nation's interests come in conflict? What kind of interests are we talking about? Land claim. I'm trying to look at history here. Uh, <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, be... you know, it depends on the situation. But I'm just trying to be as generic and broad, right, uh, right, right, to right. answer the broad question, like. You know, this is where a just war theory would come into play because I don't think it really comes into play with Muslim nations. Uh, right. And then <coughs> this, you know, negotiations, marriage alliances, I think are on the table if your government is conducive to such. But, you know, right. look at Trump doing the whole U.S.-Mexico trade agreement to replace NAFTA. You know, that, there's an example of things that can be done in more modern systems. You right, know? right, right. So... Uh, Squire George, once again, would that necessarily, uh, would, uh, would applying Romans 13 basically mean applying his law and since his sets the standard of good? And oh, yeah, I mean, it, it okay. is, and I think men do that naturally, <clears throat> being image bearers of God. So when I say that you know they bear the sword against good reward the good that i mean yeah bear the sword against evil and reward the good is they're going to reward those people who act you know righteously as we understand as human beings uh, uh understand righteousness you know um giving instead of stealing maybe um uh, doing things for the best interest of the neighbor. I mean, I don't know. Evil things. I mean, they should be punishing evildoers. If you, when you steal something, you should have to pay a restitution for that. If you murder somebody, you should be put to death. <clears throat> but we're seeing a we're seeing that falling apart in a lot of our major cities because the you have these kind of crimes that would be be very evil, and they're being allowed to get away with them because of false senses of what justice is. Well, you know, he's a individual who just had hard time and you know, whatever it might be. And so they allow them to get out on bail or without bail or anything like that. And, and criminals continue to get emboldened and they act worse. You know what I mean? All right. We got one last question. I don't know the answer to this. What, do you, oh, who is, what did uh, you think of the preaching of Bob? Einyart. Okay, is it Bob Einyart? The um, is that the guy in Colorado who is the um, open theist guy? 
and I've not heard his, I've not heard his preaching. I think he is a young earth creationist. So I've heard him do stuff. <clears throat> we have, um, yeah, exactly what he's saying there about the dead girl. And is he the guy who's the open theist? Because open theism is heresy. I mean, God knows the future. He's determined and decreed the future. Right. So. Yeah, he had some sort of debate with James White on open theism, it looks like. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you can I don't, really, I don't know. I can't really. I mean, he's got a radio show, too, I think, right? Oh, he died a few years ago, so I didn't know he died. Okay, well, that's that's news that's, to me. I, I didn't know who he was, but now I know he's dead. Uh, I know he's dead. That's he's double dead. news for me. And he has so. to give an account for his heresy that he promoted too, which is regrettable. So, so I don't so, think he ever repented of that. So, I. Uh, why don't you let uh, the audience know where they can find you? Okay, so most of my stuff is on Twitter. At Fred underscore Butler. That is and linked in the description, by the way. Is that linked in the description? That might be linked in the description. And I used to blog a lot on a blog called uh, hipandthigh.wordpress.com. And um, I haven't done that in a while um, because I've just been busy doing other things and running kids everywhere and doing taxiing them at places and other stuff. I'm currently writing a book on apologetics um i wrote a book on king james onlyism that was published in 2020 i think and i really got the bug i really enjoyed <clears throat> editing my old articles and i have a ton of old articles on apologetics and um, i started editing them and realized i really need to go back and revisit this topic so i can cover it well or at least in a way that it'll be profitable people so i've been working on that for the last three and a half, four years, maybe. I hope to get that published this year. And yeah. So yeah, it's just that uh, that's kind of where I'm at. If you want to find me, <laughs> I'm easily accessible too. So just reach out and say, Hey, you didn't answer my question. You ignored my, you ghosted my question. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to, if I skipped your question, I'll try to provide an answer. So all righty. And I want to let you know, you can support evangelical dark web at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon like system. So you get a little bit more exclusive content. Uh, if you do that, uh, and you can participate in polls that can uh, determine the research direction. There's a, currently a tie going on in the latest poll that I pushed, but not. we have had a low response participation rate from some of you subscribers out there. Uh, oh, thank you, Dylan, uh, for the... Wow, we're worth $4.99 yeah, for uh, that awesome, stimulating conversation, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dylan. Uh, you can get a cup of coffee. We got an upcoming book. Uh, I got an upcoming book as well. It's called Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments of Spiritual Warfare. It is a Christian nationalist book, but it's not on Christian nationalism. Um, it is definitely in response to the misuse of the word winsome, and which is starting to be misused a little bit more. Nuance. You talk about nuance in it. A little bit. Uh, but we talk, But it's more so a book about discernment and that's more in line with the what the book is about oh, okay so discernment you know why i do what i do it's not as much a christian nationalist book but i have added you know there is you know a definition of christian nationalism in there but it's mostly about discernment oh. uh, and it's some new material it's not stuff that i've 
I've never done an evergreen video on what I'm talking about in this book or anything like that. Uh, but I've used a lot of what I've reported on <laughs> it as evidence and stuff like that for referencing and church history and mm. stuff like that. So mm. exciting book coming out. I am trying to do some work on that. I'm the biggest <laughs> issue holding up this publishing process, I think. Oh my but gosh. It, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, anyway, have a blessed night there. I do not think there's going to be a live stream next week. Uh, so in two weeks, we will catch you then live. But until then, subscribe to the channel if you are new and drop a like on your way out. <laughs> and have a blessed night. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.